for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We're, going, we're still in Mark. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I will get there ultimately, probably. Last week, Pastor Rick brought a message in regard to the transfiguration in chapter 9. He also taught the week before that um, because I had some, it was at the week I had some dental stuff. Yeah, so I went in for, like, just to get looked at. They ended up cutting some teeth and just, anyway, blah, it's horrible. <laughs> but anyway, I'm back today. Praise the Lord. You're all, oh, no, no, we like Pastor Rick better. I get it. Um, but I'm who you have today. And we're going to talk today out of chapter 10 of Mark. And I'm going to teach a lesson, or hope to, titled The Cost of Inheritance, if you're taking notes. The Cost of Inheritance. And so in chapter 10, we see Jesus continue to reveal his mission to us. As we've talked up to this point, I, I, I like the Gospel of Mark specifically for the new believer because it's a no-nonsense gospel. There's, there's not a lot of super, super spiritual stuff. It doesn't get so deep into theology. It's really an action-based book. The first eight chapters are Jesus' identity. He sets to determine and show us who he is. And in the last eight chapters, his mission, why he came. And that's what we need to know, right? Who he was and who he is and why he came, ultimately, so that we might be saved. We saw that in the transfiguration last week as Pastor Rick taught that he, he transfigured, he transformed, showed himself in his glory so that they would be able to see who he was and what his mission was to bring to us so that we might ultimately be glorified. And so with all of that in mind, we're going to continue this conversation about mission in chapters 9 through 16 with the fact that we have an opportunity, that Jesus came to give us an opportunity for an eternal inheritance. inheritance. And that's what he says uh, in the, the text I'm going to talk about today. Our inheritance is eternal life. I just want to set some parameters, make sure everybody's on the same page. Our inheritance is eternal life. Jesus Christ, when he came, got tempted in the desert. First thing he said is, that's recorded that we're aware of, that he said when coming out of the desert, he began to proclaim what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? So repent, because eternity's coming. In fact, eternity is here in Christ Jesus. Eternity is here. Some of us are waiting for an eternity that we're currently living in through proclamation of Christ Jesus. I have access to everything that I, that I need and everything that Jesus died to give me right now. Amen? The wholeness that Christ died to give me, I have right now. The redemption that I have, I have right now. I don't have to wait for this thing. I just have to be... Diligent to understand that God died, Jesus died so that I could have that inheritance starting right now. Right now. 
And he gave it to us by grace. Romans chapter 6. Let me turn there real quick. What I want to talk about today is our inheritance is the kingdom of heaven where we can spend the eternity with God. It's offered by grace, which is free to us, but it should cost us something. Let me, let me explain. Chapter 6, starting in verse 12 of Romans, he says, Therefore, Paul, this is Paul, says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but in present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and whose members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. There is a price for your inheritance, and that is that you set yourself aside and live for Christ Jesus. Amen? I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. But then he says, Set all of your sin, all of your selfishness, all of, all of the, the evil that is in you, all the things that you are by nature and by action. Jesus Christ died to free us of that. And then he says, by grace we've been saved. He didn't say that here. But then he says in 16 or 15, he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are under not under law but under grace? May it never be. We take grace and apply it so liberally over our lives that we forget that grace has a purpose. Grace is an empowerment to save us from our sin. God extended mercy because he loves us by extending us grace. But grace should provoke us and empower us to live the way that God intends for us to live. And so for us to broadly paint with a brush and say, I'm covered by grace, I can do whatever I want, is foolishness of the highest order. Let me clarify, nothing can save you but Christ alone, grace alone, through faith alone. Amen? Amen? But that should have a consequence in you. And it's not so that you can liberally apply grace, but so that you might be provoked by grace and empowered by grace to be what God has called us to be, which is to separate ourselves from who we were and become who God has called us to be. Everybody all right? Our inheritance must cost us something. And it does cost us something. But it didn't cost us our life, except that it did cost us our life. Jesus said, or, God, or Romans tells us that we are slaves to righteousness because anyone that is a slave is obedient to its master. And so because Jesus saved us, he redeemed us, he bought us, and now we belong to him, so he's master over us. We prove that he's master over us by being obedient. That's what slaves do. It's the reason why you were a slave to your sin before you gave your life to the Lord, because you were obedient to whatever it is you had committed yourself to. And you'll find that you'll get more and more committed the more that you do that, whether it be righteousness or unrighteousness. It's the reason why sin always grows. Can I tell you, grace will always grow too. Need you to grab a hold of that. Sin grows. I might start with this little sin. 
But this little sin is not going to hold me. It's going to cause me to want to be something worse than I was. And then something worse than I was. And then something worse than I was because I, get, I keep getting brought back to the slave market and sold again into a higher degree of slavery once I've been used up in that degree of slavery. But the same should be true of us in grace. We should grow in our grace, knowing that we are slaves to righteousness, that which we apply to our lives, the empowerment the, that we seek to love others as God loves them, to love God as he deserves to be loved, should grow in us, recognizing that we don't belong to us. Amen? Did I get too deep on you? Did I get everybody tracking with me? All right. So, all of that to say this. That grace, although you didn't pay for it, does cost you something. And that something is everything. Let me read this chapter or this section of text out of Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse... 17 through 27. Talks about this, the rich young ruler. Many of you may be familiar. He says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him, capital H, this is Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all, your, all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, so the kid walks off. Jesus turns around to his disciples, and he says, how hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible with God. Amen. So, there's a cost for the inheritance that we've been given, the eternal life we've been given. And I'm here to tell you that that cost is righteousness. I want you to pay attention to the first couple verses in this text. This rich young man goes to Jesus. He had the right posture. He was talking to the right person. He had the right idea but he asked the wrong question. And so let me break all that down for you real fast. He goes up to him. He runs up to him and kneels. So he took the right action. He took the right posture before Jesus, a worshipful, reverential posture. He ran up to him, didn't walk up to him, didn't idly make his way to him, 
Apparently he saw him from some distance or whatever and ran to him and knelt before him. This is the posture all of us should take. His posture was right. Amen? His posture was right. His idea was right. And that he needed eternal life. He knew he needed eternal life. He was a Jew. He would have been taught this from his youth. In fact, he said he's kept all of these things since his youth. He had the right idea, and he was talking to the right person. He was talking to Jesus. He, he even identifies him. He says, good teacher. Now, he may not have understood completely who Jesus was, but I mean, do any of us really? We, we do the best we can to grab a hold of the glory and the majesty and the hugeness of God. But at least he was in the audience, had the audience with the right person. But he asked the wrong question. What was his question? His question is, what can I do? Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what else you get right. If you get this question wrong, it's not going to make any difference. You have to understand that there is nothing you can do. Shouldn't have been a question. It should have started with, I know there's nothing I can do from a position of reverence, identify his need, and the fact that he was talking to the person that could actually meet that need. But he asked the wrong question. He said, what do I do? Can I tell you, you can't do anything. Amen. Amen. There's nothing you can do to achieve righteousness. There is no righteousness in you, according to Romans. Um, it tells us that all have sinned, 323 and 310. None are righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is both, and I know I say it all the time, but it's necessary because we don't say it enough when we're together and when we're separate. We are sinful both by birth and by action. And we deserve to be judged because of our rebellion to a divine creator. This is our natural state, condemnation. Righteousness is given to us through Christ Jesus alone. We need to set that standard in all of our understandings. In every question that we do ask, we need to understand that everything that we do is based first in the righteousness made available to Christ Jesus. You want your prayers answered? You got to be standing righteously before God. You want to be able to enter the throne room of grace expecting to receive in your time of need, you need to be righteous with God. There is righteous expectation of us because Jesus died to give us righteousness. Amen. Amen. And just so everybody's on the same page, righteousness just literally means right standing. You don't have right standing before God unless you have Jesus. Jesus died to make sure that the hope of our inheritance was true. And in fact, it is true. Hebrews chapter 10 reads this, 10 through 18, says this. I want you to listen to these beautiful words. By this, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Sanctified, set aside. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices under the old system, which can never take away sin. 
which means there's no action that the priest could have taken. There's no action that I can take that's going to cause you to be sinless. There's no action that anyone can do that would cause you to be sinless, but Christ Jesus alone. But in verse 12, he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That is the work of the cross, the life, his life, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, sitting now at the right hand of God, waiting from the, that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he was perfected for all time, those who were sanctified, those who were set aside. And the Holy Spirit testifies to us after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Everything we have, we have because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law that our sin might be atoned for, that it might be washed away, that we might be made clean, that we might be right standing before God. The only thing any priest ever could do was offer a sacrifice to push your sin forward to the next year that it might be dealt with again later. He had no ability or strength to remove your sin from you. Praise God, Jesus has that ability. It is the He is the single way that we inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. What do I do is never the right question. That question, I hope I've explained it well enough, is fundamentally, at its very basic level, flawed. Because Jesus is the only way. And so Jesus tests this young man's heart. Having acknowledged his position, Jesus tests this kid. And the first test is a test of goodness. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's the first test. Jesus isn't saying he's not good. Jesus never said he wasn't good because Jesus took, Jesus was God. He had to be good, but he had, didn't have to be good. He was perfect. But he says, why do you call me good? He needed that kid to understand, you can't be good enough. The point he's making is there is no man that can be good enough to achieve eternal life. No matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish, no matter what work that you, that you do, you can't achieve eternal life. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus didn't come for the good or for the righteous. He came so that men could become righteous. Amen? And so we need to acknowledge first that Jesus is the God, is the good, that we aren't capable of being good no matter what we do. And so he asked him, he said, what are you doing? And he starts listing off these commandments. He said, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. He lists off these commandments. And the kid says, I've kept these since my youth. I think this is interesting for one reason. Because Jesus excluded the first commandment 
in making this proclamation of this kid? What's the first commandment? Pastor Leonard? Boom. That you shouldn't have any other God. There's no other idols. God's not going to be second to anything you have going on. And he said, I've kept all these other things. But Jesus at the ex said all of those while excluding the fact that the first commandment wasn't listed. What, why do you think that is? I think it's the same reason he would exclude that when asking us. Because although many of us would never commit adultery, many of us would never steal, many of us would never murder someone, it is inherent, or not inherent, it is intrinsic within us. It is, it is the basic flawed nature of man to worship something other than God. We are idol makers. For it's, we were having supper this evening and some lady came up with her pictures and said, let me show you my baby. I was like, all right. So she shows me this picture and it's two puppies. I was like, well, that's not a baby. This is just dogs. She said, they're beautiful though. Those are my babies. I said, no, they're, they're still your dogs. You know, they're not babies. They're not, I mean, I know, if you love your dog, man, you love your dog, I'm not being on you for loving your dog. There is a difference between a human baby and a dog. Amen? This human baby carries the likeness of God in them. This dog is cute. Why do I bring this story up? Because we make idols of everything. It is human nature to worship the creation over the creator. There is something in us that causes us to worship. And when we can't, through spiritual revelation, figure out what that is, we'll make up something. It's the reason why every God in Scripture, false God, small g God, is an image of something known. It's a golden calf. It's something known. Because there's something in us that wants to create God that we can serve. And so why do I tell you this? I tell you this because there was an idol in this kid's life that Jesus saw that the kid didn't see. And the idol in this kid's life, this rich young ruler's life, that's, a, that's, that's why I keep saying kid because rich young ruler doesn't flow out of my mouth very well. This kid has made is his money. And so Jesus tells him, he said, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus, remember, he didn't bring up idol worship. He didn't bring, don't have any other God but me. Jesus felt a love for him. This seems like strange verbiage in the middle of what's about to be a pretty significant reprimand but I've got children. And when I know they're about to make the wrong decision, I look at them in love with a broken heart. And I think that's the compassionate nature of Jesus showing in text. 
It says Jesus felt a love for him and through that love for him said this, one thing you lack. And I can see in my head because I, I try to imagine myself being there. And so I hate to superimpose this picture, but it is what I think it is. The broken heart of Jesus saying, yeah, you've kept all that stuff. And that's necessary, but it's not the most necessary. You've got an idol in your life. And he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. That's a, it's a heartbreaking statement. Why? Because he wasn't willing to give it up. Jesus, remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus knew this conversation was going to happen before this kid ran up and knelt to him before. Jesus, could you imagine living your life knowing everything that's going to happen in your life? Jesus, oh, I can't even get it. Imagine from the time you were a child knowing that you would die as heinously as Jesus died and being willing to die anyway. It's a whole other conversation. But he knew this kid was coming. He knew this conversation was going to happen. He knew the kid would choose poorly, and it broke his heart. But you know what? It says the kid was saddened. He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. That which was created was worshipped over that which was which created. And so I tell you this. God's asked the same question to you. God's made the same statement to you. God's, Jesus, had an ask of this young man that was too big for him. What ask is Jesus making of you? And is it going to be so big that it's going to cause you to walk away? I told you at the beginning of this thing that your inheritance, your eternal life has a cost. You know what that cost is? Everything. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Matthew 16, 20 adds, deny himself. What's it going to cost you to follow after Jesus, to get eternal life? Jesus already paid the price. But in expectation, he expect, in doing that, he expects something of you. And that is to deny yourself, to follow, to pick up your cross, to hate every relationship that you currently have to possess relationship with him. Now understand that's a that's a hyperbole. That's a statement. 
intended to shock the conscience. It doesn't mean that I'm supposed to hate my father because you can't hate your father and honor them at the same time. But the love that you have for God in Christ Jesus should be so magnificent and so all-encompassing that even the greatest earthly love would pale in comparison, would look like hate in comparison. And so, are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take up your cross? Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to follow no matter where he goes, what he tells you to do? And I will tell you, and it saddens me, 90 probably, and this is me throwing out a percentage, but it's probably pretty close. 90% of the people that attend a church every Sunday have an ask that would be too big for them. That's, that's sad to me. I'll tell you, I, I, I think that number might even be higher because there are things that I ask people to do and it's too big for them. And it's not even anything crazy. It's just show up on Sunday. You know, show up to hear the word. Read your Bible. Pray. I'm asking a little bit of your time. Jesus is asking a little bit of your everything. But in denying yourself and being willing to give up that which God has, that which you have for what God wants to give you requires a yes from you. It requires a preemptive yes from you. I hear people all the time, I've told some of you guys this before, man, I wish I knew what my calling was. I wish I knew what God wanted for me. I knew what I wish I knew what my cross to carry was. Because it's not Jesus' cross. Jesus got his own cross. You got your own cross. I wish I knew what God wanted from me. And so we ask, God, what do you want from me? Until you're willing to say yes first, yes, Lord, send me, what do you want? He's not gonna, why would he reveal himself to you? if he can't expect a yes from me, from you. Amen, that's how it worked out for Isaiah. Isaiah told God, send me. Preemptive yes. And he said, go, do this, 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 and this. I bet Isaiah was all, oh, I said yes already. All right, cool. <laughs> you know, when Angela and I got into ministry, we preemptively said yes to whatever God had for us. And there's been times where all, ooh, ooh, I wish you told me that. Pastor Leonard said something about this church building. I can't wait for a church building. But can I tell you, half of me isn't looking forward to it. Not the process. The truth of the matter is, statistically, I can't remember what percentage is now. Something like 50 plus percent of pastors who build a building are so burnt out and tired by the time they get done with that, discouraged, that they quit ministry within two years. Did you know that? That's why he said, support your pastor. I don't need your money as much as I need your prayer. 
My whole point is there is preempt your ah, your question with a yes. Deny yourself. Yes, Lord, what do you want me to deny myself of? Yes, Lord, what cross should I pick up? Yes, Lord, where will I follow you? Yes, Lord. And he'll tell you. He says, and this, and I know I'm a little couple minutes late, and I'm going to be, but that's all right. And then he starts talking. He says, he turns to his disciples after this young man walks away. And he says, he says, do you know that it'd be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven? First off, let me get this money idea out of your mind. This is just that happens to be the kid that came up to him. All of us have something that we need to give up. And it's going to be easier if you love that, like really love that, for you to get to heaven than it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Notice he says it's going to be difficult, not impossible. I've heard it taught from the time I was little. My granny used to drag me to church and you'd hear, Man, you can't, if you got money, you're going to hell. You're not going to, there's no way you could fit a camel through the eye of a needle. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. There's something called a, a needle gate. Jesus had a tendency to discuss relative to his culture, as we all should. And when you entered a building, or a house, or a set of houses. They were all in the Middle East, still are, surrounded by large walls. And inside that large wall was a large livestock gate. Uh, yeah, gate. So that you open it up and camels and sheep and all that stuff could sleep within the security of the building. But you know what? That thing was heavy. It was cumbersome. And you had to unlock it. It's frustrating. And so in the middle of these big livestock gates, they would make a smaller human-sized door that had its own hinges, and they called it the, the camel gate, or I'm sorry, the needle gate, where people could walk through. It's not that a camel can't get through a needle gate. It's that in order to get a camel through a needle gate, the camel must lower itself and crawl in. Hear me. If we're going to get through the needle gate, we need to lower ourselves and crawl in. It's not that you can't do it. I said so many people won't lower themselves to crawl in. And the disciples asked the question, how can anybody be saved? That's difficult. He, this, 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 how's this even possible? And Jesus landed where all of us should land. It's impossible for you to do it, but it's possible with God to do it. Everything that God has called you to do, he's gifted you with a grace to bring it all the way back to the beginning. He's gifted you with a grace that you might be empowered to do it because that's what grace is. Grace is the provocation 
and the empowerment to accomplish what God has called us to. And the first thing God ever calls us to is himself. But it's going to cost us everything. What's the price? The cost of your inheritance? Everything that you are to chase after everything that he is. Amen.